Last week, we had a discussion about running events that grow your organization rather than subtract from it. This week, we talk about getting people on board through idea nepotism. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple pivots into for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm pumped because today we are having a conversation about collaborative organization building and what does that even mean? Why Why are we talking about this? Uh, I am really, really excited because this is so extremely important for organizational leaders, nonprofit leaders to get their heads wrapped around this concept. So to, to kind of jump into the topic, Lisa, why don't you talk a little bit about what we're talking about today? Well, I think as nonprofit leaders, and this is especially true with nonprofits, especially ones who are working with volunteers, where that is the majority of how you're getting stuff done, how you're getting the support that you need. Your resource engine is very, very, very volunteer heavy. Um, Having an organizational structure where there's collaboration happening is vitally important because as a leader, it can become really easy to assume, like, I know where we're going, therefore I know the best systems and the best structures to get us there. And sometimes what we do is we end up creating such a load for ourselves to carry that we look at the people around us and say, why don't you care about this as much as I do? Why aren't you willing to carry this with me? I thought we were partners in this. But part of having partners in the process is being willing to collaborate within the process and not just saying my way is the best way and I'm just going to tell you what to do and tell you how to get this done, but really recognizing that the people that you're leading um, are key in knowing the best systems to get set up. You know, in our flywheel, we talk a lot about having the right people, taking the right action and getting those right systems in place. Well, if you have the right people and the right action and you are unwilling to collaborate with them when it comes to those systems, you are missing some key information, some super crucial um, insight into what's going on within your organization. And you're really missing out on the opportunity to have a team. And we're not talking about the type of team where it's like, well, you're the captain and people have to listen to you. We're talking about the type of team where people are rallied around each other for a greater purpose. And And so we're super excited to share about this today because this is probably one of our favorite ways to lead when we are in one of those situations is to build this sort of team structure. Yeah. So first of all, hierarchy is still important. It's important to have leadership. It's important to have people who know kind of who's in charge and where the buck stops and uh, also where the responsibility lies. Like if things all fall apart, um, the leader needs to be able to have ownership and say, hey, listen, as the leader... I messed that up, mm-hmm. you know, and so the the hierarchies are still really, really important because it gives people a sense of structure and safety and uh, it feels more like a team if there is leadership. That's just that's just how mm-hmm. it works. Absolutely. What we're talking about is think of it less like you're trying to uh, you're a bird trying to build a nest and you're more like ants building uh, an anthill where a bird is kind of like just doing it all themselves. They're putting it all together. They've got the structure. They're putting all the little pieces in place. But the ants are all 
communicating with each other and they're all working together and they're, you know, the, the form always takes the form of this uh, neat little anthill with, you know, structures and stuff underneath, but it's more of a collaborative effort in the building process, not in mm-hmm. just the doing process, because I think that's where this mindset uh, it might be different for a lot of the leaders listening to the podcast today is building collaborative collaboratively not just running it collaboratively yes that's so huge and important and we've seen this a lot in different nonprofits that we've worked with where there's a certain amount of we've built it up now we just want people to help do the things help run it we just want people to help run it but if you can get yourself to a place and your organization to a place where you're actually building out those initial systems and structures Um, as a collaborative unit, they work so much better. And the reason why is because one person just cannot know everything about the organization. And if you do know everything about the organization, chances are your organization needs to grow beyond where it currently is. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry to tell you that, but that's kind of how it is. You need to be able to grow because if you're carrying that much yourself, you have put a lid on the impact that you can be making for the cause that you're trying to help. And so we need to get it to a place where it can grow beyond you because these causes are bigger than one person and bigger than ourselves. Anyway, going back to the collaborative uh, mindset with this, when we start bringing in the other people and really getting their input on what's working, what isn't working, what could be tweaked, what might need to be changed, um, maybe the system's really good, but maybe the way that it's being carried out doesn't quite work for the temperament or the personality of the current leader. And maybe it's not a complete redo of the system, but just making sure that the language that's being used uh, works for who they are. It's it's this whole mindset where we are better together and we are better putting this together because the people who are leading the other people actually are closer to the action and actually know what's working better than we do. Right. Um, as leaders, we do need to have clear vision on where we're going. We do need to really be able to see what's coming up and be directing the ship in that direction. But if we assume that because we're supposed to be seeing the furthest, we also know all of the details going on through the entire organization, (laughs) we just can't do it both ways. Sometimes you have, it's hard to go from bird's eye view into all of the every single detail view. And giving people permission to come to you and say, this is working well, this isn't working well, and here's why. And they're the people who are actually running with what is in place. They're going to give you the best feedback Mm-hmm. Like the best feedback. You might see an issue from the outside, but the issue that you're seeing might not be the real issue. And if you lean on what you can see, you might end up breaking something more. Right. Than... Breaking something that's working or mm-hmm. if it's already not working, the solution that you come up with is not helpful. Um, and uh, the other great benefit of doing it this way, Lisa mentioned this before, you know, you feel like you're doing it all yourself and like, why don't other people care more? When you bring in the right people around you to help build out the organization, not just run the organization, but actually come up with, here are our goals, here's what we're going to uh, uh, shoot for, here is what uh, how we're going to structure the next event, here's how we're going to structure teams and all this stuff, right? When you bring people into that, um, there's a certain amount of what I am now going to coin the phrase idea nepotism. So nepotism is the favoritism of your own children. 
people have favoritism of their own ideas. It's true. And when they present an idea and it gets heard and it gets implemented, guess who cares most about getting that done? The person who came up with the idea. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to leverage that idea nepotism to to help move the organization forward. And if you're the only one who's coming up with the ideas, it makes sense that you're the only one who cares about those ideas deeply. Ouch. (laughs) And so this is why it's so important to get the right people Mm -hmm. around you because you need to be able to trust that their ideas are good. Yeah. If you have a bunch of people around you and you're like, okay, let's come together for a brainstorm. And you're like, I hope no one comes up with any ideas. Guess what? You don't have the right people. Right. <laughs> you then want you people have who are right going to say, like, problem. bring up an idea that you, you hadn't thought of or at least trust them en- enough to think, you know what? I bet they're going to come up with ideas that I have thought of, but I'm not going to be the blabbermouth to just, like, take all of the uh, credit for these ideas. Mm-hmm. And I will say, when it comes to having the right people, the right action in the systems, it is okay to choose to have certain people in different brainstorming meetings creating the different systems. When you're creating a system for your organization, you don't have to have every single leader in every single meeting. Like, it's okay to handpick to get the right people at the table um, so that they can be there. Like, that's fine to do. But you do need to recognize that when you choose to bring people into those meetings and you choose to give them ownership, I love that idea nepotism. I'm going to use that Thanks. for a long time going forward. <laughs> You're a genius. Um, but when you choose to allow them to actually give their ideas and their input and you take any of them and run with them, and even if they give you an idea that sparks a completely different idea and you run with that, they still own it because they're like, that came from me talking like people like to know that what they say and what they do matters and you choosing to bring in those right people just it changes the dynamic of the organization as a whole one because they're going to own it differently and two because they know that their ideas matter which means if they see an issue going forward that they have a wake that could be fixed they're going to bring it to you before the issue blows up yeah which means they're going to see the issue before you as the leader see the issue. And so you're able to head off a lot more early on because you're not having to wait until it becomes a public issue that finally reaches your ears, but you're able to like basically teach the people around you that you want to hear their ideas. You want to hear what's working. You want to hear what's broken. Um, I read today um, a writer, I think it was Adam Grant. Anyway, he was writing and he said, we are not owed feedback. Like every piece of feedback is a gift. And it got me thinking that we are not owed the feedback of the people underneath us. The feedback that they give us, if they let us know, hey, I see an issue, that is a gift from that person because they do not have to tell us. We do not automatically get it. If they see an issue with the organization, they tell us that is a gift and they do not have to give it. And so what we need to be doing is facilitating these moments where people can have inputs so that we teach them that we celebrate and we value their feedback so that they are willing to give it in the future because they do not have to give it to us, but it will save us a lot of time and heartache if they're willing to share. So this brings up another question that I'm sure a lot of people are thinking. Even if you have the right people around you, sometimes they still have dumb ideas. Yeah. I still have dumb ideas. I think we all have dumb ideas. Leaders also have dumb ideas, right? So how do you deal with dumb ideas? 
because we're trying to build these collaboratively built organizations and someone says, you know what, I think it'd be really smart if we just didn't have any hierarchy and everybody was just on the same level playing field when it comes to authority. I think that that's a bad idea. I think, you know, if someone said that right now, he's like, "Mm." like, listen, I would rather be the bottom rung in an organization than be in an organization that doesn't have any leadership structure or Mm -hmm. hierarchy. I would so much rather because it's actually, you know what you can do with that. It's like, oh, and just you you have to deal with so much more drama and emotions (laughs) in those organizations, too. So, um, Lisa. How do you deal with bad ideas? Um, so it kind of depends. It depends on who it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on how often they're offering bad ideas. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> just every idea. It's just constant. It never terrible. stops. <laughs> um, if it's someone who just has an idea that I don't think is going to fit in. Um, like I was leading a team years ago. And someone had an idea for how things could get done in a different way. And they were someone who, they were new to the team. Um, They didn't really understand the behind the scenes. Their idea, it just wasn't going to fit with how things worked. Um, The first thing I always do, even if it's a bad idea, is thank them. Like, I thank them, not necessarily for the idea. (laughs) Um, But I, I say thank you for taking the time to consider the team Thank you for caring enough to tell me. Um, Thank you for trusting me as a leader that I'm going to want to hear what you have to say. Um, Because, again, the feedback is not owed you. They took a risk. They took a risk. Mm -hmm. And they are afraid. When they first give you feedback or or an idea, they are scared that they're going to be called dumb or they're scared that they're going to be told that they're overstepping. Released to their higher potential. (laughs) (laughs) I have released a few volunteers to their higher potential over the years. <laughs> I've released a few to their lower potential. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you guys don't get the joke, that's when we fired a volunteer. <laughs> um, no, so I always start with gratitude. Um, the fact of the matter is gratitude wins you so many conversations. It, it wins you everything in relationships. And so starting with gratitude, if there was a lot of trust there or it was someone that I was trying to train and maybe they just didn't understand how a piece worked, I'd use it as a training moment, as a thank you so much for telling me. And I would never say thank you so much for telling me. Here's why it won't work. I'd say thank you so much for telling me that is an issue. Let me show you how we currently are fixing that. And maybe we can look at that together. And That's bring really them good. into that conversation. Yeah, because it because thank you for telling me. No, we're not going to do that. You just you basically kind of shot the gratitude mm-hmm. in the foot anyway. Yeah. Um, if it was someone who just had an idea like, oh, I think we should do things this way. And they weren't necessarily on my team. I would thank them and tell them that I would think about it. Um, that wasn't a lie. I would think about it long enough to say no. Um, <laughs> but what they needed to hear was I heard them. I am thankful for them. And I'm going to consider it. Um, if it was someone that I highly, highly, highly respected and they told me something and I thought it was a dumb idea, I would do my best to check my ego at the door and ask them why they thought it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Listen, I'm not seeing what you're seeing, but I trust you. What are you seeing that made you say that? What am I missing? Where is my blind spot? Um, what am I overlooking? What am I avoiding? 
in really putting myself out there. That person, for me to do that with someone, they had to earn my trust over a long period of time for me to be willing to put myself in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, But if someone has a dumb idea, like, okay, there was one person I told they had a dumb idea. I had a friend, (laughs) (laughs) I had a friend who was incredibly talented, incredibly smart. Um, She made a thing for a thing that we were doing and she showed it to me. She's like, what do you think about this for an idea? And I was like, I think you should redo that. It's not very good. (laughs) Um, But that being said, we had about a a decade of relationship where we were trusted enough that I could say it to her and she could say it to me. So I won't say never, but I will say if you ever tell someone it's a bad idea, you better be such good friends with that person that you're going to walk through hell or high water together. Um, mm-hmm. And they should be someone who's at a leadership peerish level to you, not someone who's directly on your team. Right. Right. I- I've had a-, a lot of experience with bad ideas over the past. My own bad ideas, because my-, my strategy <laughs> with ideas is Say generate all. a ton mm-hmm. and then pick the good ones. Yeah. Um, oh. Can I add one thing quick? If you're the leader and you come up with a bad idea and someone else doesn't say thank you and they do tell you that it's a bad idea, um, you need to learn how to smile and move on. Because the grace that you give other people a lot of times won't be returned as leaders. Right. It's true. And that's okay. Yep. That's that's part of the cost of being a leader. But um, so my, my experience with bad ideas is one, having a lot of them and knowing when um, when I liked the responses that came to me and when I didn't like the responses that came to me. Mainly for me, uh, one bad idea could be the route to a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's frustrating when you come up with a bad idea and it's just immediately <clears throat> thrown away when mm-hmm. it could have been the fodder to grow something good. Um that's the reason why I don't like it when my ideas are just killed flat out because yeah, it's a bad idea. I agree. It's a bad idea. Like I don't have any problem with it being called a bad idea, but let's leave it up there on the whiteboard or whatever to help somebody else. Maybe like maybe somebody else sees a better way to do X. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I've had so the probably the most common bad idea that I had was uh, like that people would come to me with is, is in running music stuff at church. Different people on the team, even people that weren't on the team, would come and be like, "Oh, we should do this song," and yeah. like, all, like nine ninety eight percent of the time, those songs were just songs I hated. Like I abhorred those songs for a variety of reasons. Maybe the genre was country or maybe (laughs) (laughs) or maybe I just I was just like, "Ah, I just it it feels so cheesy. I don't want to do that or whatever. Right. So I learned this from my mom and I still use it. You just look at the idea and you excitedly say, wow, that's an idea because you're not it's it's true. It is an idea, Mm -hmm. but it helps them go like, oh, cool. They see it as an idea. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes that's all that people need. Like, they just want to be heard, heard and they want to know that their idea was considered. Mm-hmm. And I did consider it. But like that's it doesn't communicate that if you're like, yeah, we're never doing that song. <laughs> right. Your mom taught me that phrase when we got engaged. 
so I could use it about wedding stuff. <laughs> and then the next week, she gave me a suggestion. I looked at her and said, that's an idea. <laughs> she was like, nice. <laughs> Your mom's awesome. No, it's really true. People want to be want to know that they're heard. They want to know that whatever they said held enough value that you considered it. Um, and it is important that we consider things because if we really get in our head that we know best, that we know the best music, that we know the best systems, we know the best way to run every single team, uh, we know how every leader operates, we are just the most insightful human beings to ever exist, um, we will miss out on a lot of opportunities to impact people. Absolutely. We're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities to raise up great new leaders who need to struggle through the process of creating good systems, creating good structures, hiring on people, bringing on new volunteers. Like every time we do something for somebody on our team, we're robbing them. And Mm -hmm. so involving them in the process and even like kind of letting them sort of take take it and say, hey, you know what? Build a system for that. Let's see how this goes. Mm -hmm. And coaching them through the process is going to be way better than you just saying, nope, this is the system. This is the way we do it. You do it just like this. Da, 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 da. I'm mm-hmm. going to like, I want you to build a widget. It's like that is not attractional for leaders and people who are actually development focused. Yeah. Part of this is you need to realize if you're trying to grow your organization, chances are you need to bring more leaders into your organization mm-hmm. and you can't treat leaders as you would treat an assistant. Um, there's nothing wrong with assistance in an organization. And I know some people who are like, I just want to come in, do the work, make the phone calls and leave. I know leaders who like to be assistants in some places mm-hmm. and leaders in other places. Yeah. So there's a wide variety, but we need to recognize that if we bring every single person in and treat them all as leaders, we're going to lose a lot of people who don't necessarily want to lead, but they want to help and they Mm -hmm. want to give their time. But if we bring everyone in and say, I am the leader, you have to do things my way, um, we're going to be bringing in a lot of people who... Well, we'll bring them in, but they're not going to stay. <laughs> like, right. like the people who are going to leave are the people who want to actually contribute and help build something. And one thing that helps a lot um, as a leader, because I think part of it is when you give people permission to collaborate, you also give them ownership and responsibility, which is a good thing. It's also a scary thing. Um, Absolutely. But if you recognize as a leader, your goal with your nonprofit is to make an impact, Right. Mm-hmm. Your cause is probably different than a lot of other nonprofits, but at the end of the day, it's to make a positive impact in this world. And when we have leaders and we bring them into the collaboration process, even if they're not with us five years from now, chances are that person is still going to be involved in nonprofit work in some way. They are still going to be trying to change the world in some way. Um, and so what we teach them in how to lead, how to plan, how to build systems, how to really improve their lives and the lives of the people around them, that's going to carry forward. Um, so sometimes I, I know for us, we've been in leadership positions where it's like, man, if we give this person something and then they leave, then we're going to have a hole and we're going to have to train someone else up and all those thoughts go through your head. Um, but really we've seen some phenomenal leaders go on to do some other really great things. And we get to look at that and say, and that's part of our legacy. Yep. Like that's part of the impact that we get to make is that the energy and the influence that we give and pour into other people, man, we get to make an impact with the cause that we care about. And we get to make an impact with causes that we also care about, but we're not devoting our lives to. 
that's, that's cool. pretty phenomenal, I think. Except that also means you have to learn how to be open-handed with people. And that's scary. Yeah, I was going to say, as leaders in the organization, we need to be prepared to take risks. We need to take risks with how we determine spending. We need to take risks in hiring new people. We need to take risks when it comes to giving away some leadership authority. And we need to take risks when it comes to designing and building the organization Mm -hmm. structurally and systemically. Yeah. I think this has been a pretty awesome conversation. Do you have any final wrap-up thoughts, Ted? Um, I think the big takeaway would be maybe something that we could, you know, give practically to the listeners. So, what is one structure that you're knowing you need to build in your organization that you can find a way to hand off to another leader in the organization? We would love to hear from you. You can go ahead and send us that and maybe other thoughts that you have or questions that you have to office at LegacyBuildersintl.com. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersIntl.com. 